Right, let's open up our Bibles this morning to the book of Hosea, please. Hosea chapter 8, right after the book of Daniel. In Hosea chapter 8. And we'll read beginning in verse 11. Hosea 8, verse 11. I want to thank all of you as you find that verse. Just want to thank you for your continued prayers for the recovery of my voice. I've had my good days, I have my bad days. Uh, thank God this morning it's a fairly decent voice morning that usually goes by the hour or so. Um, I may not preach very long uh, just uh, because I don't want to go too far. Please, uh, several of you have expressed concern that I'm doing too much. I'm also concerned that I'm doing too much. But understand, I have to feel my way through this. So it's one of those things where I might take two steps forward and then I might have to take a step back. Uh, but I won't know how far too far is until I've taken that step. So, so please be patient with me. I'm not trying to push things too far. Um, I do feel as if I've done a bit too much. So I'm going to try to rearrange my schedule so that I can manage a little better. But rather than waste any more words on that, Hosea 8, verse 11. Because Ephraim hath made many altars to sin, altars shall be unto him to sin. He's going to reap what he sowed. Verse 12, interesting verse. I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. And that's what I'd like to preach about today. We're going to spend most of our time with verse 12, but let's read verse 13 and 14 with it. They sacrifice flesh for the sacrifices of mine offerings and eat it, but the Lord accepteth them not. Now will he remember their iniquity and visit their sins. They shall return to Egypt. Notice that the nation of Israel had no problems with performing religious rituals. Do you see that? They, they were very much into that. Verse 14. For Israel hath forgotten his maker and buildeth temples. If, if we were to write this in the New Testament way, we would say they build churches. Yet they've forgotten their maker. It says, And Judah hath multiplied fenced cities. So industry is booming. But I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour the palaces thereof. We're going to concentrate in verse 12 where he says, and, and what's interesting is that God himself is saying this. The other verses, it sounds as if Hosea speaking on behalf of God in the third person. But verse 12, God, he steps up and says, I have written to him the great things of my law. It, was it a man's hand on the pen that wrote the words? Yes, but God takes credit and says, I have written it. Not only did he say it, not just verbally, he wrote it down. I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. So today we're going to talk on this topic, the name of my sermon is Bible. What's a Bible? Let's pray. Father, please help us as we look at this topic. Remind us this morning just how important 
Your word is God, please. Let it be precious unto us, greater than thousands of gold and silver. Thank you for writing it down. Oh, Lord, thank you that we have a copy of it. What a wonderful blessing. Please help us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When we read about a strange thing, uh, the word strange, now you might have your own way of thinking about this, but unusual is one way you think of it. Surprising. You're not expecting it. It's strange. Not previously visited. I think that would be very fitting for the Bible. It's left sitting and not visited much. Unaccustomed to or unfamiliar with. These are all definitions of a strange thing. If you're unfamiliar with it, it may not be strange to the world in general, but to you it might be strange. One day a pastor visited some of his church members and uh, they were sitting in, I think you guys call it the pastor where You have a room set aside just for the pastors. And he was sitting in the room talking with his members and and the mom said to the daughter, uh, hurry up, honey, run into the other room and get that book that the family loves so much. And the little girl ran out and ran back in a minute later holding the TV guy. <laughs> that, that's not what the mom had in mind, but she wasn't familiar with. She wasn't accustomed to the family loving the Bible so much. In their case, the Bible was a bit of a strange thing. How strange is it in your house? How strange is the Bible in your personal life? I remember some years ago, I visited Mozambique. It was my first trip to Africa ever. I was only supposed to be in Malawi. But the Malawians that I was visiting, they had arranged for me to take a trip into Mozambique. We ended up in a place called Murambala. Murambala is a small village in the backside of nowhere. And we, the vehicle we were in, we were in a small baki. There were 15 of us in this baki. The baki, it's a long story, but you know, Mozambique had civil wars and they blew up bombs in the roads. So there are massive craters in their roads. Well, the driver was going 120 clicks and hit one of these craters and it broke the drive shaft of the baki. So we ended up... Uh, rigging it so that the drive shaft would work just enough. We tried, we thought we were taking a shortcut. We took a dirt path. We ended up in the middle of the bush. The drive shaft eventually fell out of the vehicle and we were stuck. There was just nothing or no one around. We sat there for hours waiting for somebody to drive by. And while we were waiting, a lady I was standing next to, the, the grass was literally... Uh, two and a half, three meters high. I mean, it was, it was the bush. And I was standing with my back to that grass, praying, waiting, wondering. And right then, a village lady walked through that grass, almost like a ghost. Just n- no one was there, and boom, she was there, like the tokolos. It's scary. <laughs> it's scary. I turned around startled. And, I mean, this is what you, you see in magazines. If you're an American, you grow up reading magazines about Africa. This lady had on a homemade skirt and, and no top at all. And I'm, I'm like, oh, wow, welcome to Africa here. <laughs> so once I 
gathered myself. I tried to give her a gospel tract. And she started speaking her language. And I, of course, didn't understand it. I got a guy over. I said, can you translate for me? We tried Portuguese because it's Mozambique. She didn't speak Portuguese. We tried Chichewa. She didn't speak Chichewa. So finally, we had it worked out. I spoke English. Then it went Chewa, then Portuguese. And then there was some other guy there that spoke that local language. So we were going, what is that, three or four interpreters to talk to her. And if the conversation went as I think it did, I asked her if she had heard of Jesus Christ, and she said no. She had never heard of that. I asked her, what about God? Do you, have you heard about this being that created the heaven and the earth? And she said, I've never heard of that. And I had a Bible in my hand, and I said, what, what about this book? Has anyone ever shown you a Bible? And the way the question should have been worded, now of course there's interpreters, so you never know, is have, do you, have you seen this? Do you know what this is? And the answer that I got back was Bible? What's a Bible? And that's my sermon today. Bible? What's a Bible? To her, it was a completely strange thing. Now granted, there's a good chance that she couldn't read at all. And for a lot of folks in the world, they are illiterate. And any book is going to be a strange thing. But did you know that there are a lot of illiterate people that are very familiar with the Bible, even though they personally have never read it? You say, how, how can that be? We have a verse that we put up every Sunday here. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. When James wrote that, he's writing to a crowd that is over 95% illiterate. Much of the world in which James lived was illiterate. They would gather together daily as a congregation to hear someone read and explain the scripture to them. So that's why instead of saying, be doers of the word, not readers only. He said, Don't, he said be a doer, not a hearer only. Because most people had to show up to a church meeting or a Bible study in order to hear someone read to them the Word of God. And they became intimately familiar with the Scripture. So much so that I have seen it in Malawi, ladies that are illiterate. They have no education whatsoever, never gone to school a day in their life. They can quote to you multiple chapters of the Bible. I've seen it. Whenever I visit, I go to our village churches way out in the bush. And our pastors will have ladies and men come forward and, and sometimes young children, eight, nine, ten years old. And they will quote four or five chapters off the top of their head, even though they themselves can't read. Somebody else read it to them and they heard it so much that they can quote chapters of it. I'm asking you today, is it a strange thing to you? When you hear the Bible spoken, when you hear somebody talking about it, do you recognize when they're quoting a verse? Do you recognize when they've quoted it wrong? Do you know when they've twisted it? Are you intimately familiar with it? A Sunday school teacher, she was teaching young kids. She asked the class one day, she said, all right, class, I want you to think hard. Now, we've studied this recently. Who knocked down the walls of Jericho? And one naughty little boy said, it wasn't me. (laughs) 
he thought he was in trouble. <laughs> that kid's a big gunshot, right? <laughs> but it, it's sad to say that in, in most places you could ask that same question and people, adults, would give just as good an answer as that little boy did. Matter of fact, they did a survey not too long ago. They just gave a series of rather simple Bible questions. Anybody that had even read the Bible once without paying much attention would have been able to answer these questions. But after they asked the questions, they tallied up the results and they found that the people that know the Bible best are atheists and agnostics. Because they grew up in an organized religion and they could see through the nonsense, the show, the fakeness of it all, the hypocrisy of those around them. And they studied the Bible to find out its problems. Now understand their motives for knowing it were wrong. They approached it with the wrong attitude. But that being said, they are familiar with its stories, with its claims. While the majority of Christianity stays ignorant of this precious gift that God has given us. He revealed himself to us. He wrote it down and then preserved it. From the generation that was given forever. So that we'd always have access to this knowledge. I want you to see that in verse 11. There are many altars. Do you see that? In verse 13. There are many offerings. There is plenty of religious ritual. Do you see that? In verse 14. There are plenty of temples. There's no lack of religion. There's no lack of church buildings, but there is a lack of knowledge of the scripture. He says, I've written to you the great things of my law, but they're counted as a strange thing to you. The law that God gave Israel was to set them apart from all the other nations. In Deuteronomy 4, God told them, he said, one day other nations are going to look at you and how you live and how you conduct yourselves. Not only in your businesses, but even in your homes. And he said, those nations, here's what they're going to say. What nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law? He says, they're going to look at how you live and say, my goodness, you must have some outstanding laws and rules that govern you, that set you apart from all the others. But unfortunately, because Israel cast the book of God behind their backs, they ended up living like and looking like, and acting like, and thinking like all the other nations. Folks, there was a day and time when people could look at Christianity just as a whole. And you know what they would say about us? They would say, those are the people of the book. Do you know who gave us that moniker? Muhammad. And I say this with full intent. I know what I'm saying. As he gave the words of the Quran, not Allah. As Muhammad gave the words for the Quran. Now he himself was illiterate. Somebody else had to write it down. But one of the things that Muhammad said over and over was Christians are people of the book. This is in a day and age where they didn't have printing presses. To make billions of copies of the Bible so that everyone could own it. This is a day when people would have one or two pages of the Bible. 
And they would willingly give up their lives rather than give up those pages of the Bible. But people, the people of Christianity were known as people of the book. It wasn't a strange thing to them. I've heard people say these days, you know, but I I don't need the Bible to know God. I can know God on my own terms. I have my own ways of knowing Him. Folks, let's be honest. Before there was a Bible, God was there. It was possible for people to know Him. But, but, let's also remember that as time has gone on, God has revealed Himself more and more. So we should have advanced knowledge of God compared to those people of yesteryear, two, three thousand years ago. You know what Job said? Job lived in a time before there was a Bible. Job said, if God had written a book, I would bind it to my shoulder as a crown. Job said, I have not gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job wasn't talking about a written Bible. He was talking about anything that God had revealed to him personally. That was more precious to him than the food he ate on a daily basis. It was more important to him. Doesn't this work nicely with what Jesus said? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Let's, let's do this. How many of you would go to a hospital which uses medical practices from 2,000 years ago? Would any of you do that? If you walk in and they say, listen, we reject all modern technology, all modern advancements, the advanced knowledge, the things that science has learned and taught us. We, we don't touch that. We use the old ways. We have our own ways. Guys, it was only 150 years ago You could go to a hospital, and if they had to amputate something, they gave you a shot of whiskey, put a a stick in your mouth, and said, bite down, and got the cutting. And then they would take the saw and put it in a bowl of water so that the next amputee could come over, and they'd take the same saw and go through it again. Did you know that God said in Leviticus 15 that when it comes to these sort of blood issues, you need to cleanse it with running water? The Jews had access to advanced knowledge. (laughs) The rest of the world, they were 1,500 years behind. More than that, 3,000 years behind. Just recently did they realize we need running water in order for things to be properly cleansed. My goodness, you wouldn't want to go to a hospital 150 years ago with that archaic knowledge. You appreciate the advanced revelations of science and technology, right? Folks, we have advanced revelation from God. Can we learn about Him through His creation? Absolutely. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. God is a God of order and not chaos. We we know this from His creation. We learn about His eternal power and Godhead, the Bible says. We also know because of our conscience, every human being has one. Whether they've seen a Bible or not, we know deep down that the one who created us is also interested in righteousness. So how do you know that? Because he built us as moral beings. We have a moral capacity. We like the right. We don't like the wrong. We we appreciate good and we despise evil. Where did we get that? 
That doesn't come through natural processes of evolution. That comes from a creator who is righteous and holy writing those things on our hearts. So yes, we can know something about God without the Bible. But when God steps into history and says, let me tell you more about myself. Do you realize the first time God showed up to Israel as a nation, He came down on Mount Sinai. And he said, I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he gives them the Ten Commandments. You know what the people said? They said, oh my soul, don't let that ever happen again. That scared us something fierce. They said, Moses, please, you go get the words and bring them down to us. Because for God to show up and speak those words, that was too much. So Moses went up 40 days and 40 nights. You know what God did? He took his finger and he wrote it in the stone. And he brought it down the mountain. You know, it was about five minutes that mankind had his hands on the words, the written words of God, and he broke them all. (laughs) He threw them down and broke them all. That's how man treats the word of God. Moses went back up the mountain. They redid the Ten Commandments in the stone. And then after that, Moses comes down with all these statutes, commandments, 613 different laws, and they write it down. And God commanded the Levites, you make the copies and keep them right next to the Ark of the Covenant. Why? It was the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God would be manifested. If you want to know the God of the Bible, you need to know the Bible of our God. This is how He advances our knowledge of Him. Yes, we can know He's there. But if you want to get to know Him personally in greater detail, you read what He has written. Jesus said it like this when He was on the earth. Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. Would you let the weight of those words sink into your soul? Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures. I wonder one day when you stand before Jesus, if He'll look you straight in the eye and say, Sir, ma'am, you made a mistake because you didn't know the Bible. And that's exactly what Jesus was referring to when He said it. God wants us to know Him so much that He has taken special care to reveal His words to various men throughout history. Over 40 men were involved in writing the Bible. It's taken over 1,800 years. And God has carefully watched over it, preserved it, so that we still have a copy of it today. All of the words we need right here. And and unlike Islam, where the Word of God can only be communicated in one language, the Bible can be put in any, any language and it works. Because God wants everybody to know Him equally. Folks, God wants us to know Him so much. He not only gave us the written Word, but one day the living Word, the incarnate Word. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Isn't it interesting that Jesus would take on that name, the Word? Do you see the connection He's trying to make? If you want to know the Word, you need to get to know the Word. The two are inseparably inseparably connected. Jesus came down. This is God manifest in the flesh. And the Bible says in John 1 that He came to declare the Father to us. He says, you want to know about God? 
Here I am. Let me show you what God is like. Now, all the things that we need to know about Jesus' words, his sermons, his teachings, his mighty deeds, you know where they're recorded? Guys, we didn't just hand it down orally, playing that, that Chinese whispers or that telephone game where one story tells, you know, one guy tells another story, another story. The eyewitnesses of those things wrote them down. You have them in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I don't want you to answer this out loud, but I would like to pose the question. Have you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? My pastor, the one that led me to Christ, Brother Freddie Reed. I asked him one day how many times he'd read his Bible. His Bible. Honey, do you remember that Bible? Well, I've never seen a Bible that looked like this. You could find the book of Romans right after Leviticus. <laughs> I, I'm serious. That's where it was. I asked him one day, I said, Brother, you're finding a verse in Romans. You're turning to the Old Testament. He said, Romans fell out years ago. I keep it behind Leviticus now. <laughs> he, it was a collection of disconnected papers. But he refused to buy a new Bible. He was so happy with that old Bible of his. All of his notes. All of his tears that he had shed on those pages. As he prayed and cried over various verses. Oh, that pastor. That Bible that he had. I'm shorting out again. I asked him how many times he'd read the Bible. He said, I, I, I don't. He said, I, I don't divulge that information. He said, but I'll tell you this. I read the Gospels more than I read the rest of the Bible. And he said, I read one story in particular. I read the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection every day of my life. And he said, I want to know everything that there is to know about my Savior. Now, he read other places in the Bible, no doubt. But he would spend extra time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to get to know Jesus. You wouldn't say to Brother Freddie, Bible? What's a Bible? Oh, he knew that. He knew what it was. Do you? Is it a strange thing to you? You look at the book and say, man, I, that's, that, that's, that's unusual. I'm not familiar with that. Anybody ever sent you a WhatsApp? Wherein you expected a quick response, but you didn't get one? Have, have you ever done that? You send the WhatsApp and, and it gets two blue check marks. Right? Now, if it's two gray check marks, we're okay. You, you haven't seen it yet. It's on your phone, but you didn't look. But once it goes two blues, I'm on to you. <laughs> you saw my message. Now, if you send me a message, or I'm sorry, I send you a message, you don't reply... Okay, I'll give you a little time. And then I send you another message. No reply. A few days go by, I send you another message. No reply. You know, after five or six messages, folks, be honest. How patient are you? How many messages do you send before you finally give them a phone call or a personal visit? And say, what do you? I know that you see my messages, see? Blue. Are you angry at me? Are you avoiding me? What, what's the deal? Wouldn't you 
Wouldn't you think that that person has a problem with you? What if you sent 66 messages, all of them ticked blue, and no reply? He said, Brother Mike, what are you getting at? I got 66 books. And I think this is true. If it's not, we'll make it true. Most of you own a Bible. If you don't, we have free ones. We'll give you one. Tick blue. I heard it just now. (laughs) Thank you, whoever that was. But we made it so. (laughs) You see, 66 messages, 66 books downloaded, delivered to you. We know you have access to them. The check marks are blue. But what are you doing with those messages? Have you spent any time reading them? I'm going to close this message with one thought. Because I think even myself, I've probably emphasized the wrong thing in the past. You might think that this is a sermon meant to get you to read the Bible. And while that is part of my goal, that's not the whole story. Because I believe you can read the Bible and still miss the purpose of reading the Bible. Have you ever done that? Have you ever read the Bible, four or five chapters, and then kind of wake up a little bit and say, what did I just read? We get set on autopilot sometimes. And we forget the purpose of the book. A.W. Tozer said it very well. The Bible is not the end goal. The Bible is a means to the end goal, and that is to know God. So I'm going to close this sermon with, by making this point, and I really do want to drive it home. We don't read the Bible so that we can win a game of trivial pursuit. It's not a, it's not a matter of learning various historical facts and can you remember the exact address of a verse. Don't worry. If you can't remember exactly where that verse stands, that's not the end goal. The end goal is to get to know the God of the Word. You know what God did when when He revealed His words over and over again to the various prophets? He said, sacrifices and burnt offerings, that's not what I'm concerned about. What I really take as important is the knowledge of God. God said, that's what I value the most, is you getting to know me. And the best way to do that, folks, is to spend intimate time with the Bible. You can read it a hundred times through, but if your heart is not in it, I do say you've wasted your time. So rather than try to put numbers out there, you need to read a certain number of pages or spend a certain amount of time every day reading it. Or you need to have read your Bible so many times through by the end of this year or the end of your life. I I don't think that's really the goal, nor, nor should it be. I've told you this story before. It's worth repeating just to drive this home. Lester Roloff, great man of God, he read the Bible 
over a hundred times on his knees. Now, I've told you that before. But every time I've told that story before, I mention it, and I, I kind of drive home the, the fact that he did it a hundred times. And I'm trying to wow you with a hundred times. Listen, I think that's impressive. A hundred times, that's impressive. But, but can I emphasize what I think is the real important part of that story? Lester Roloff would put the Bible on a chair kneel before it, sometimes put it on the floor, kneel before it, and read a verse and pray. Read a verse and pray. Read a verse and pray. And he would spend hours. Read a verse. Pray. He wasn't worried about rushing through so that he could say, look at me, I read it a hundred times. He wanted to know God And as those verses would speak to his heart, he would commune with God. God would speak to him through his word. Brother Roloff would talk back to God for a while. And the communion was so intense. Brother Roloff, he preached every day of his life. And never did he sit at the desk and prepare sermons. He didn't. You know where he prepared? On his knees, reading the Bible. He was no stranger to the Bible. And the Bible was no stranger to him. So I'm not putting any pressure on you today to read through it a certain amount of times. I'm not going to try to make you feel bad because maybe yesterday or the day before, you didn't have very much time to read the Bible. But I'd like to instill in you as a hunger. A sincere desire for the milk of the word. That's what Peter said. He said that you should desire the sincere milk of the word. That you may grow thereby. The key here is the desire. I gave you some definitions in the beginning. If something is strange, then it is unusual. Or you are unfamiliar with it. So read your Bible. You say, how much, how often until you become familiar with it? And if you're anything like me, the more you read it, the more you'll want to read it. The writer of Hebrews said it like this. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrows. Listen. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible, the Word of God, knows the intention of your heart. So what's the important thing to remember when reading it? You approach it with the right attitude. You don't sit down to the table and say, now I've got to rush through 10 chapters because that's what Pastor Mike said we should do. But to sit down and say, God, I really do want to know you better. You've handed, you've given me 66 messages. I will pour over them with all my heart and soul so that I become familiar with you. Let's all stand if you will, please.
Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We want you to be familiar with the Word of God so that you can be familiar with the God of the Word. The Bible is a means to an end. And that end is to know God personally. We have the privilege of owning Bibles. Not everybody in this generation can say that. In some countries, it's illegal. In some countries, they can't afford it. There is no excuse for a people such as us to look at a Bible and say, what's a Bible? We have no excuse for the words of God to be strange to us. Whether it's one verse, one chapter, or one, one entire book that you read today, do it with all your heart and soul, with a hunger and a desire for the sincere milk of the Word. Kneel before it if you have to. Say, God, please reveal yourself to me. Please speak to me. The book is alive. It knows just what you need to hear. Let it speak to you. We know that you have access to the message. The check marks are blue. Now we need you to pour over those messages and respond. Be doers and not just hearers. I haven't preached much today about salvation, how to be born again. But I, I do want to remind you that being saved, having the Holy Spirit come to live inside of you, that is what's going to make sense of the Bible. You as a natural person, natural man, the Bible is going to remain a strange thing. But the Holy Spirit that inspired these words, when He moves into your heart, He will guide you into all truth. If you'd like to know more about being saved, please come, come find me after the service. I'd be honored to show you how to be saved from the Bible. For the rest of you, and many of you are already saved, don't be a stranger to the Bible. Day by day, get to know it. Father, thank you this morning for speaking to our hearts, for reminding us, Lord, 
of the greatness of your words. That's what you said. I have written unto him the great things of my law. Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for preserving your word forever. Lord, help us not to take it as a small thing. Help us to esteem it more than our necessary food. Oh, Lord, help us to love this book. Father, if there is someone here not saved, please speak to their heart. Please let them, let them walk out of this room today born again. Father, please bring us back tonight. We're hungry. We want to hear more from your word. Please, please continue to speak to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.